Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this good news, Lord, that you have paid the price for us. Our way has been opened. And so now, Lord, as we listen to your words, we receive, Lord, we want to just open our hearts to you now. Bless Jody as she comes to share. We ask, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have Pastor Jody coming to share God's word with us. Would you make her feel really welcome as she comes to share with us now? Thank you, church. Great to be here. Welcome to those joining us online today. It is awesome to have you with us too. Well, this is our last Sunday of the church-wide series, Your Kingdom Come, um, although I think there are already plans for a second installment later in the year. So maybe that's good news for you. Hopefully it is. Um, I just wanted to recap on what these values are that we've been looking at over the last four weeks. And we um, looked at living according to God's word, servant-hearted humility, bold and courageous faith. Last week, we looked at prevailing prayer. And each and every week, church, I don't know if you're the same, but each and every week, I just feel like um, God has spoken so powerfully and is preparing us and moving us as His church deeper into relationship with Him, expectant for what is unfolding in this season. We finish this series today looking at the kingdom value of worship. What does it mean to be passionate, wholehearted worshipers? What picture comes to your mind when you think about worship? Many of you have come intentionally this morning to worship, but what do you actually mean when you say that? Are you talking about the music? You know, being caught up, lifting up your hands in worship and praise. Is that what you mean when you talk about worship? Or maybe some of you find the music distracting. Maybe you're longing for those moments in the service that are full of quiet reflection, solitude with God. Maybe um, for some of you, um, worship is communion. And you kind of go, why don't we do that every week? That's what worship's about for me. For others, maybe you're thinking it's about hearing from God's word. Maybe it's just meeting, being God's people together like this is worship. Maybe it's serving one another, welcoming new people, chatting over tea and coffee. Maybe all of those things are just as important um, in worship. And I'm keen to unpack what this worship actually is as we seek and long for God's kingdom to come. As we look at God's word, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and reveal to us today what it means to be passionate, wholehearted worshipers. Let's pray. Jesus, we do invite you into this place. We're aware of your presence already here, God, and and now as we open your word, we need you to make it alive to us, God. To open our hearts to hear what you're saying to us. To see you in these words, Jesus. We ask that you just bring it alive now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were thinking that a Bible passage for worship would surely be a psalm of jubilant praise with cymbals and dancing, I have to break it to you. It's not going to be that this morning. Maybe you need to come back tonight. Trav might be doing that. I don't know. Um, 
But this passage may not have been the one that came to your mind, but it is full of worship for us to lean into and learn from today. Let's read from Luke chapter 7. Follow along on the screen with me. Verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A few years ago, our family went to Tasmania for a holiday. And in our time in Hobart, I convinced, somehow managed to convince everyone that it would be a good idea to go to the Gallery of Modern Art. Some of you have been there. I enjoy going to art galleries, but appreciate that modern art can be quite dividing when it comes to people's interpretation and appreciation of it. Well, the divide in artistic appreciation in our family is quite noticeable, let me say. We would come up to an exhibit where my eldest son, who had studied art in school, would be quite thoughtful and interested in appreciating the form and media and artistic expression. My husband would come up to the same exhibit and pause and say, what is it? And then my youngest son, in a voice a little loud and awkward, would pipe in and say, how is that art? That's just weird. I could make that. 
how can three people be looking at the same thing and have such different perspectives? And I feel like our Bible passage today is a bit like that. Jesus and Simon the Pharisee have very different perspectives of what has unfolded before them. Jesus asked Simon, did you hear it? He says, do you see this woman? I can only imagine that Simon would have wanted to reply sarcastically to Jesus' question. Do I see this woman? Of course I see this woman. How could I not see her? This sinner has barged into my home. A woman of her reputation and background would not be invited or welcome in any godly household. She has interrupted our dinner and conversation. You are my guest, Jesus, in my house, and yet you seem to be far more interested in her than me. Her crying is awkwardly embarrassing enough without us having to watch her kissing your feet and most inappropriately letting down her hair to mop up her tears. And the expensive perfume What an extravagant misuse of resources. A year's wages wasted on your feet. At the very least, it could have been used for a better cause. No doubt this crossed Simon's mind as it did for our people in the other gospel accounts of this story. Simon the Pharisee surely does see this woman and has serious concerns about what Jesus is seeing. We don't actually know Simon's motives for inviting Jesus to his house. And and it really is quite interesting here that Jesus accepts his invitation. If you've read any of the Gospels, you would know that Jesus and the Pharisees didn't exactly see eye to eye about God. Actually, if there was anyone in the firing line of Jesus' judgment, it was the Pharisees. These ones who were so obsessed with their own righteousness, keeping the law, careful to keep themselves separate from the sinners, judging others without mercy or compassion. And I'm actually surprised that Simon would invite Jesus into his home. Jesus hung out with sinners all the time. Maybe Simon was inquisitive. Or maybe Simon wanted to test Jesus to catch him out. You know, Pharisees thrived on elevating themselves by pointing out the sins of others. And I, and I wonder if Simon was just waiting to, to find fault in Jesus, to point out his failure so that he would enhance his own righteous standing in the community. And it didn't take long for Simon to think he found fault in Jesus. Jesus is far short of Simon's perspective of who God is. I mean, if Simon's thinking if Jesus were from God, then his acceptance of this sinful woman is a complete contradiction. The Pharisees knew how much God hated sin. So Jesus receiving a sinner into his presence, he clearly disproves that Jesus is from God. And even as Simon is thinking that, Jesus could not possibly be a prophet. Jesus answers his thoughts. Did you see that in the text? Don't you just love the irony of that? So Simon, you've made up your mind that I'm not from God. Well, let me just show you that I can read your mind. I know your thoughts. 
Do you ever wonder if Jesus had a little smirk on his face as these things unfolded? He was seeing this woman so differently to the way Simon is seeing her. And in the other accounts of this story in Matthew and Mark, this woman's actions are so impacting, so full of passionate, wholehearted worship that her story would be shared wherever the gospel is proclaimed. We're talking about her 2,000 years later. Her response to Jesus' presence might seem way over the top in its expression, but it flows right from her heart. Did you feel the emotion coming out from deep within her? This is devotion. This is adoration. This is gratitude. This is love. This is worship. Passionate, heartfelt worship. And and Jesus is looking at Simon going, do you see this woman? Church, do you see this woman? Do you see her heart of passionate worship expressed here? Passionate, wholehearted worship doesn't happen at a distance. It doesn't stay on the sidelines where it is private and safe. Simon invited Jesus into his home and apparently it would have been customary for there to be an audience outside the doors and windows listening in and watching on the conversation. It would have been quite acceptable for this woman to be a part of the crowd outside the house, maybe worshipping and admiring Jesus from a distance, but she's compelled to come in. She needs to get near to Jesus. She wants to be as close as she can to him. Not outside straining to hear his voice, but so close she can hear his whisper. So close she can look into his face, feel the grace of his presence washing over her. She is a sinner and maybe that makes her an outsider who deserves no place at the table. But that is not how Jesus sees her. He receives her and she is welcomed into his presence. Passionate, wholehearted worship doesn't always make sense to others. Who of us in that room wouldn't have been raising our eyebrows at what this woman was doing? Honestly, this was a scene. Weeping, kissing feet, flowing hair everywhere. The overwhelming smell of perfume. It's a little bit much, isn't it? You know, I struggle with embarrassment, trying to hold back my tears in church on a Sunday morning. And I have to admit, there are times where I've felt the promptings of the Spirit to respond in worship, but I haven't. I don't want to draw a scene or make, draw attention to myself. You know, I tell myself, oh, to do that would be a bit over the top. Do you really need to respond like that? Doesn't God just see your heart? Have you ever felt like that? I'm sad to admit it, but there are many times I've held back in my wholehearted response to God, hindered by my own insecurities and thoughts, rather than free to express and respond in worship to him. I'm so challenged by this woman 
who was so moved in his presence that nothing else mattered. She just follows her heart. Passionate worship doesn't withhold anything from Jesus. It is costly and sacrificial. The reference to the beautiful alabaster jar of perfume this woman brought with her made it immensely valuable. For a woman like this, maybe it was her life savings. Maybe it was her investment for her future. But in the presence of Jesus, she realized there was nothing she wouldn't give up for him. Anointing usually happened on people's heads. But as she fell at his feet, she realized that even the feet of her savior were so precious, they deserved the best that she had to give. When it comes to Jesus, what is there we, we could withhold from him? Is there anything we can withhold that can compare to who he is and what he's done for us? In Romans 12, Paul says, offer to God every part of our lives as a living sacrifice of worship. What could be too precious to give up? That Jesus wouldn't be able to fill and refill a hundred times over. The sense of knowing this grows more and more as we spend time in his presence and grow in our worship of him. Are you getting a picture of passionate, wholehearted worship here? It's simple, really. Worship is just our heart freely responding to Jesus. Loving Jesus is not something that just happens in our head. It flows out of our heart. It flows through our bodies, our actions. It gives expression to our love for him, our adoration, our devotion, our gratitude. This is worship, our heart's response to the presence of Jesus. That's why some people wanna raise their hands when they're singing in church. That is why there are moments when we feel compelled to kneel before him. That is what brings us forward for anointing or prayer. It's what motivates us to love others. Sometimes it moves us to tears. For some of us, it's expressed in music, others art. Some, it is generously serving and giving. There is no formula here. It doesn't have to look the same for everyone and it won't because we're all so different. But what is the same is this heart to love Jesus. That's what unifies us. That's what unites us as his people. A heart that just wants to express our love as it flows out of us. There's another part of this story that Jesus focuses on here and, and that's how we view ourselves in his presence can make a big difference to our worship. We see the contrast here between Simon the Pharisee and this woman. And Jesus tells a story to il illustrate it. In today's terms, it might be easier to relate to a story of two people who have mortgages. One is a $50,000 mortgage and the other is $500,000. Both people have fallen on hard times, lost their jobs due to unforeseen circumstances, 
barely managing to put food on the table and cover basic bills. The mortgage payments cannot be covered. It's not long before there's a call from the bank manager to come into his office for an appointment. Both people are filled with dread. But the person with the $50,000 debt is thinking at least they have some equity in their home. Um, Surely the bank manager would be understanding. The other person is thinking there is no way out of this. I'm gonna lose my house. Selling it will barely cover the loan. Where will we live? What then? They each get into the bank manager's office and instead of facing the wrath of red tape and bureaucracy, the bank manager says, look, I know things are really tough for you at the moment and I've thought a lot about it and I'm just gonna cancel your debt. You don't have to pay anything more. Here are the deed papers for your house. It's all yours. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, if you were in this situation, you would be so appreciative, so thankful. Who wouldn't be? But the point Jesus is making here to Simon and to us is that worship actually reveals the state of our heart. I feel like if the woman had words in this picture, she might have looked up to the Pharisee Simon at that moment and went, don't you see Jesus? Simon's pride stood in the way of his worship. In Jesus' presence, he thought he measured up pretty well. He didn't even see Jesus as a guest worthy enough of the basic customary honors of washing and anointing, let alone worship. In contrast to this woman who comes in absolute humility with everything she has, to express her heart in his presence. Simon answers the question correctly, of course. The one who is forgiven more loves more. But this story isn't about an imaginary debt. This story is about the debt we owe to God for our sin. The one who is forgiven more loves more and responds accordingly in worship because they have understood how costly sin is. Understood the weight of it. Understood the the sacrifice made to pay for it. They've understood that there is no way they could fix this problem on their own or meet it out of their own cost. They realize they owe their life to the kindness of a savior who willingly steps in to pay a debt he doesn't owe. All Simon could see in this woman was her sin precluding her from the presence of God. And while Jesus doesn't overlook sin, he actually says, acknowledges that her sins are many. He doesn't just see the sin. He sees the person. He sees the potential and power that lie in love and forgiveness for changing a person's heart. He receives the one who comes near to him and in the grace and kindness of his presence, there is repentance, which is always received by God in forgiveness. There is reconciliation to a heavenly father 
restored relationship with God. These tears, her kissing, her costly gift given, is given for Jesus' love for her. It's a worthy expression of love and gratitude for the grace she has received. And Jesus commends her faith. Her faith is evidenced by her passionate, wholehearted worship. Simon misses the opportunity to receive the same grace. The Pharisees' crusade for righteousness without compassion for the sinner made him forget that we all start in the same place. We are all in need of divine forgiveness. Simon's disgust of sinners had kept him from seeing that he too was a sinner, that he too was in desperate need of a savior who could offer him much more than this conditional and transactional relationship he was trying to have with God. Are we in danger of being the people in the story who have little to forgive? Are we in danger of missing the grasp and the cost of the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sin? Have we missed the great love that God has poured out for us? We actually can't begin to express passionate worship without knowing just how amazing the grace of our Savior is. Jesus expresses this in Luke chapter 5 when he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus' acceptance of sinners somehow gave them greater freedom to acknowledge their own wrongdoing and to seek from him a remedy for their sinfulness. His acceptance of them opens the door to repentance. Jesus never compromises the righteousness of God. And yet somehow, coming into the presence of Jesus' holiness, his truth, his love, sinners are transformed into passionate, wholehearted worshipers. Hear that this morning. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. As I was sitting in this story, I was reminded of Sarah, who's here in our service this morning, and I rang her to make sure I could tell you this story. She comes along on Thursdays to our bridge care team, and I often find myself driving in the car beside her, um, weeding, cleaning houses, whatever Thursdays look like, it's always different. But I hear her story, and she shared in our Easter service last year, and you might remember some of her story, and as I've gotten to know her, more of her stories come out. And if there is someone who comes to my mind who knows how much they've been forgiven and someone who shows how much love she has for her savior, it's Sarah. She can't help but share with me as she cuts people's hair that she just has to tell them about Jesus because they just need to know that there's a savior who loves them. 
And she can be in the shopping center and, and just sharing. She can be at school, have meetings with principals and teachers, and, and she just needs to tell them all about Jesus, how much he's done for her and what he could do for them. And she goes, Some people, do you think I'm over the top, Jody?" And I go, no. And in my heart, I'm going, oh, I want, I want more of that for me, Sarah. I want to know like you do what it is to be forgiven and loved and to love in that way. I'm inspired by it. You know, there's a cycle of worship that grows in this relationship between Jesus and believers. And I I don't even have the right words to express it, but somehow we come into Jesus' presence and his grace fills our heart. It expresses itself in love and worship. And as we love and worship, more of the presence of Jesus comes to fill us with more grace and love. And it's this beautiful cycle of the kingdom of God, this beautiful picture of God filling his people with worship and coming to meet them in their worship. And the kingdom grows in this way. It flows out in this way. Over these past few weeks, I don't think I'm alone when I say there has just been this beautiful presence of God with us. We've felt it in services, in prayer meetings, in connect groups. We're in a season where we're seeing God do amazing things, things that we've prayed and dreamed about. We're expectant that the Holy Spirit is stirring and moving. We are filled with faith for the promises that God has made. That he's heard our prayers over many years. We know his heart is to transform this community with his love. And we believe he can do it. This Tuesday night is a worship night. It's called outpouring. An opportunity to come and be in the presence of God. God comes where he's wanted. He comes where his people seek him. He dwells in the praises of his people. And I invite you to come on Tuesday. Come and worship. Open your heart to him. See. See him again, church. See him with new eyes. Be free to respond to his presence. We have a taste of that now as we come to worship to conclude our service. And I I just have this sense that we're longing for God to move. We're longing for God to come. And he longs for us to keep responding to him. Just last Sunday in the service, I I was standing right there in the the service just worshiping God. And I just had this sense of the Spirit of God just falling so gently upon us. And I heard the words from Revelation that say, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Worship, church. May Jesus find us to be passionate worshipers of him.
Let's pray. Jesus, when we come into your presence, we're in awe of you. We thank you again this morning that you meet us, that you welcome us into your presence, that you have made a way for us to be restored to you, that our sin is not a barrier to you this morning, God that you call us forgiven and whole. So Lord, teach us what it means to be unhindered in our worship of you. Allow our hearts to flow freely, God, to express our love, to express our devotion, to adore you in all your glory and majesty. We honor you. Amen. We're going to stand and worship church. And I just want you to be free to worship this morning. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like for you, but be free. If it means raising your hands today, raise your hands. If it means singing out loud, sing out loud. Don't be shy. If it means kneeling before God, if it means receiving for the first time or the hundredth time this incredible gift of grace, then receive, come, drink freely. Oh,
Amen. Amen. Praise God that our debt has been paid, that we have been redeemed, ransomed, rescued from the dominion of darkness, born in the kingdom of light, His amazing grace. And I love that song. It says, we've been there 10,000 years. We'll still have so much to worship Him and praise Him for. And, and this is what we're going to do forever. We're going to gather around the throne and we're going to worship and so this morning, I think it's right, here we are talking about passion and worship, that we do one more song this morning, that we worship our God one more time and just pour out our praise to Him. And remember as we're doing this, that this, this as we're worshiping, we are joining with all the heaven. Let me give you a little picture of what is happening in this very moment. This is what we are a part of. It says, each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people, your prayers this morning. And they sang a new song. Listen to this new song. Saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations, for all people. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, I was saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, every creature with all that is within them saying, they were not holding back. Everything within them was saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Amen, church. We worship him. He's worthy of our worship this morning. I want to tell you, for me personally, the most powerful experiences I've ever had were literally that sense of being lifted up in the heavenlies has been here gathering as we've worshipped together. There's something powerful about worshipping together as the people of God, being a part of what is happening in heaven in this very moment. So we're going to worship one more song. Let's not hold back as we sing, Holy is our God. Let's worship Him this morning as we conclude our time together. Let's lift His name high. i 
Holy One, we're just so aware we're in your presence this morning, Lord. So aware, Lord, that we're in your holy presence. Oh, Lord, receive our worship this morning. May it be acceptable in your eyes, mighty God. And Lord, we declare with all the heaven, the angels this morning. 
that you are worthy. Lord Jesus, you are worthy, that you are the risen, exalted one, that you are on the throne, that you're all things, you're over all things, Lord, that you are the King of kings, the sovereign Lord. We honor you and we worship you, Lord, and we pray the prayer. We've been praying this whole series this morning. Lord Jesus, King Jesus, your kingdom come, Lord, we pray. May our community turn to worship you, God, we pray. May our city turn to you, great God, and worship you. May our world turn to you, Lord. Turn to you and to worship you, to give you the praise you deserve. This is our prayer. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your, all that you've done for us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you for redeeming us. And now, Lord, we worship you with all of our hearts, Lord. We pour out our praise. We bless Tuesday night as we continue to seek you together, we pray. But we pray these things in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Everyone said, amen. Can we put our hands together, church, to our amazing God, our holy God? Wow, that's a little taste of Tuesday night. Come out and join us. You can be seated if you'd like prayer. Come and be prayed for. Our prayer team will be here or our prayer lounge up the back. They'd love to pray for you. Don't forget to, if you're new this morning, our welcome morning tea over in the chapel across the courtyard. We'd love to connect with you there. And to those joining us online as well, so good to have you sharing with us. God bless you. If you have a prayer need, you can email through as well. But God bless you today. Thanks so much for sharing with us.